Welcome to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Damon Burton about social proof and how it can impact your business. This is episode 10, and it starts right now. Brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, visit Araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Chris, this is the Digital Marketing Happy Hour, and what happy hour is complete without a few beverages? What are you drinking during this happy hour? So I am keeping with the Green Man's. I am drinking a Green Man ESB tonight. Again, one of my favorite breweries, so I figured I'd keep up the trend. What about you? A Blue Moon without the fruits. You know, it's summertime, I think. Blue Moon is perfect, especially when it's hot out. So that is uh, keeping me company during this happy hour. I do like the occasional Blue Moon. Well, we have our beverages in hand, so let's get started. He's Ryan Smith. I'm Chris Casale. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. If you're new to our podcast, then welcome. And if you're a repeat listener, thank you, thank you. You know by now, marketing is a huge passion of ours, and we hope you'll enjoy this episode. Our goal is to deliver a little bit of information to help your business achieve results so you can reach your goals. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Damon Burton. He's the founder of SEO National. He's a regular contributor on Forbes and the author of Outrank, your guide to making more online by showing up higher on search engines and outranking your competition. If you missed our first conversation with Damon, check out our last episode, number nine, where Damon teaches the critical pillars of SEO that every business needs to know to succeed. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the importance of social proof and how it can impact your business even during these turbulent economic crisis. Before we get started, it's important to know, what is social proof? There's a lot of sources that you can find that have different definitions. One of our favorites at the Digital Marketing Happy Hour, and they're not a sponsor, is HubSpot. And they say social proof is the idea that consumers will adapt their behavior according to what other people are doing. So one example of that is for if you're driving by and you see a long line of cars wrapped around the building of, let's say, a Chick-fil-A or a Starbucks, that would be an example of social proof. And with that, Damon, thank you for joining us on another episode of the podcast. During our previous conversation off the air, you had mentioned a little bit about how Social Proof has opened the door for your business and the positive impact that it's had. Is there a specific story that you could share with our audience? I can tell you, you know, about, I think it was April, I had a chamber of commerce commerce in Denver reach out and they were kind of referred to me through a, a business owner that's on one of their boards and they said, hey, can you do kind of a webinar on what actions businesses can take right now with the coronavirus? Because this is this when we're only four weeks into this thing and so it was like full panic mode. 
And I had just done a presentation a while before on social proof, but for different reasons, you know, before the world melted. But everything was applicable to that. So I think where the value in social proof is is very related to what we were just talking about, about being top of mind um, and showcasing your expertise. And then the other thing with social proof. So what I mean by social proof is just, you know, being online and being present and staying top of mind. So consistently putting out content. Now, what you don't want to do in social proof is me, me, me. I'm cool. I'm amazing. I do these things. But instead, you want to educate and solve problems. So here, your post should be, here's the answer to this one thing. Or, you know, here's this amazing result that I drove for somebody. Or here's a solution to your pain point. And actually give away the answer. Don't send them to a funnel. Don't send them to a lead magnet. Like, give them the answer. So if you go look at the majority of my historical content on LinkedIn, there's a ton of posts that are just straight answers to SEO questions and I have zero call to action at the end. So when I get on social media and I'm engaging with somebody, if you want to consider this a link prospecting strategy, I don't live in the private messages and the DMs. What I do is I reach out and I connect with people and then during the outreach message, I straight up tell them, hey, I'm not going to pitch you anything. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself and then I'm going to let you go. One, I do that because then it kind of they kind of let their guard down and go, oh, okay, he's not going to pitch me. And then two, when I say, then I'm going to let you go, they're like, yay, he's serious. And so that gives you the opportunity to connect with people a little bit better or at least get past that first gate where you usually get shut out. Then after they follow up or engage, then I then I say, hey, you know, I told you I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. I'm married, I have three kids. Here's my area of expertise. Let me know if I can ever help. That's a wrap. And so when I say I'm done, I don't follow up with them anymore, unless, of course, they reply and ask questions. But my goal is to get them in my network, because once they're in my network, then they're going to be exposed to my content. Once they're exposed to my exposed to my content, then I can showcase my expertise. Then I stay top of mind because I can't force somebody to need SEO, but I can educate them that I'm one of their best options. So then when they do need SEO, I'm top of mind. And so then I just focus on content, content, content. Um, and then, you know, my latest client last week was a referral from somebody that was was like one of those three consumers that I said. So they read my thing. They didn't need it, but they knew somebody that did send me a referral and sales walls were down and they just said, here's my money. When looking at like a LinkedIn and you're saying don't live in the DMs or the, the messages, which is so interesting because so many people do that. At the same time, do you worry or fearful that maybe there would be missed opportunities because of that? No, I mean, I check them, but I batch them. I'll, I'll, I'll only check them like once a week because first I don't want to get distracted. And so I don't want to be in there and just seeing every little blip that pops up. Um, it's, it's you know, before we hit record, we, we talked briefly about, you know, work-life balance. And so part of where that process comes from of not living in the DMs is I don't live in my emails. So I don't have emails on my phone, but I still check them every day. And, but when I go in there, I have the automatic download turned off. So that way, when I go in and if I need to send an email, then I don't get distracted by all the other downloads that are waiting for me. So I only check my emails when I want to go in and push the button and check my emails. So it's the same thing with LinkedIn. I have a little reminder that says, go check messages this week. And so I'll just check them once a week. Um, so there's, uh, there's certainly been opportunities where somebody messaged and I'll follow up. But if that person needs me 24-7, I'm not their guy anyway, so I'm not going to lose anything.
So it's interesting you use the term social proof. I actually hadn't heard of that concept until you mentioned it, but I think it kind of falls in line with a lot of the other terms I've heard in the industry. Uh, Chris Brogan wrote a book years ago called Trust Agents, which is about establishing trust and being sort of that thought leader. You also hear the term thought leadership and authority often. Um, Is there a risk in not living in the DMs and having everything out there. Do you ever run into any, you know, PR issues where, you know, we're, we're going through some some tense times right now as a country where, you know, if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, and obviously it's a little different than what's going on right now, but generally speaking, if everything is public, is there a risk that you're facing? No, because I don't go to that level. I'm a very private person. So for me, I find that balance of being as public as I'm willing to. I don't sacrifice my own privacy. Um, you know, a good example would be Facebook. So Facebook's obviously a little more personal than LinkedIn. Uh, so I proudly talk about, you know, my affection for my wife and my kids, but you won't find a single picture of them on Facebook. So I found my balance of be public, be Damon, showcase the family side, give away as much detail as I want that can benefit my audience and establish personality, but I'm not going to sacrifice you know, what my hard lines are. What about with regard to your clients when you're recommending a strategy for them and, and a brand, you know, is what they're facing different? Well, you have to pick a face for the company. You can't, you know, people don't want to buy from, they may pay your company, but they want to buy from you. So you have to pick, first of all, you have to pick the face, right? So like what comes to mind is I have one client who I've been telling about social proof for years and they have a lot of potential, but the owner understandably doesn't want to be the face and that's fine, but somebody has to be. And so they have a vice president, they have a marketing manager. And so there's no right or wrong answer. It's going to vary depending on a who management or an ownership or ownership is and B, what's the industry, but you definitely have to make a conscious decision to pick a face and then from there decide, you know, I I would call it your voice. You have to figure out what your voice is and what you're comfortable with. And part of that's going to be experimentation. When I first started doing some social proof, you know, I would make one post and then as I'm writing, I'm like, I don't really want to talk about this and inside i was like well no this will be this will be one of those things that resonate and so i post it and then as soon as i post i'm like no i really don't like that and so then i delete it and so you, you kind of have to go through that process of tripping over yourself a little bit and figuring out what your voice is but um so it, so there's a couple phases so the first phase is somebody's got to be the face and then kind of the next phase is okay what am i comfortable talking about what am i not comfortable talking about and kind of establish that healthy balance of being authentic to who you are but also only giving away as much as you're willing to give away do you have a failure story regarding social proof and i ask that because i feel like we learn more from those situations so maybe even if it's not a failure like a, a trip or a stumble that you could tell us about um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I agree that there's a lot of opportunity to learn from the failures. And I do the same thing when I talk with others. I don't know. I can't think of any off the top of my head. And maybe that's because I was more willing to trip over myself at first with the small errors. And so I was able to learn what I was comfortable discussing and not comfortable with before I was on a, a larger platform with a bigger audience. Um, so I don't have anything crazy personally that I've kind of stumbled over. How do you see influencer marketing in social proof, the impact that it has had? And do you see it continuing to progress or or now that all of a sudden everything has changed and there is a recession? Where do you see that in the, the marketing scheme of things? It's probably the same as it was before, except for a little magnified. And what I mean is, uh, you know, there's always going to be a market for influencer marketing just because, you know, some that's where some people live. They they live in the shadows of 
celebrities and influencers. And, and so you, unless that part of humanity goes away, there's always going to be an opportunity. Now, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I, you know, from, I, I certainly agree that there's some negative sides to it. And then on the business side, I understand the potential for profitability behind it. But I think what something like coronavirus has done is there's more of a need for trust. And this goes with social proof and top of mind and SEO. The same thing. It's, you know, people either want to stretch their dollar further or even if they have the same budget, they just want to give that to somebody they trust who's going to protect it a little bit better. And so I think that influencer marketing will always be there. But the sweeter spot is going to be kind of the micro influencers that maybe have a couple thousand people instead of hundreds of thousands. And that's kind of always been the best market um, because they're more relatable to their audience and they have a more personal relationship. Um, But I think that it has kind of been the the max. The benefit of the micro-influencers has been magnified, and then the value of the heavy hitters has been devalued. Um, you know, as the time of as of the time we're recording this, like a couple weeks ago, there was a whole Kylie Jenner thing where now they're saying she's not a billionaire, and Forbes revoked her title. And I think that a lot of us have known that it's a bunch of BS in a lot of influencers, and just in general, not like. It's not like slamming that at Kylie or anything, but, you know, just in general, I think people are catching on more and going, well, you know, I didn't realize there was this market where they're being paid for this or that might not be as genuine or they can detect, they can tell when people are being more genuine. And so I think people's radars are just getting dialed in a little bit better. And I agree with you. And my first thought always, and you brought it up with Kylie Jenner, you know, the whole Kardashian tribe is, you know, what a lot of people think of when it's that influencer marketing. Now it's, you're right. It's probably quality versus quantity. You could probably hit a lot of people with it. It might not necessarily be your target audience. And for most people, it's not even in the budget to be able to get something big like that. But on the micro, now you're talking quality, maybe not the quantity, but that's okay. You probably, I think we overestimate how much the quantity needs to be and you lose sight on the fact of it's the quality that's what you you don't need a hundred thousand you know you might only need 10 depending on your product or service that you're selling and the value that that has with it so i agree with you everything you said and and especially getting into the micro i think there is a platform for it i think it's been more of a we're seeing a shift with it in in getting more micro which by the way it's probably where it should have been anyway with it more in your in your your niche and you know always say it, you know, the riches are in the niches. And if you can, if, if you can really dial it down and, and get granular with knowing who your audience is. And the last podcast, we talked a little bit about buyer personas, understanding your audience. And this kind of goes as a part of that. If if you know your audience and this could be influencer associated with it could truly provide influence. I think you know, that is who people have to go after, not just that because the shiny toy or the spend all this money to get somebody who's going to blast it out your name, which could be great for a good five minutes. And then, you know, you're kind of back to the drawing board. Yeah. And, and the conversion rate more dialed in audience is going to be way higher. I mean, like if you spend a million bucks for one post with Kylie, like I'm just making up numbers here. If you spend like a million bucks on a post with Kylie Jenner and you get in front of 5 million people and then 50 convert, or you could spend 10,000 bucks to get in front of a list of 50,000 people and 50 convert, like you get the same quantity of sales at a way discounted price because it had better intent and increased accuracy and improved conversions. Damon, thank you so much for spending your time with us these last two podcast episodes. If 
anybody wants to learn more about you, how do they find out? Where do they go? Look. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, just my name, Damon Burton. I'm fairly active on Facebook as well. I'm not on TikTok, so don't look for me there. And um, I just wrote a book called Outrank. And if you want a free copy, I'm doing that for the next week or so at freeseobook.com. Perfect. Thank you, Damon. We'll be sure to check it out. Now, after our conversation, we went back and looked, and there are so many different examples of social proof that we didn't get a chance to speak with when Damon was on during the interview. So wanted to kind of talk about more ways of social proof because it's extremely important with your business. So a couple of other areas where social proof is important, for example, industry expert recommendations. When you look at the granular of in your industry, who are the influencers? When they make a recommendation of a product or service, that is an example of social proof. Another example of social proof, which we talked about with Damon, is celebrity endorsements. When it's someone like Kim Kardashian, that would be a celebrity endorsement, again, providing social proof. Additionally, what can be more important is taking your customer testimonials, people who have used your product or service, getting them to leave a review, get on video, create something where they're telling their story and their success with your product or the solution that your products and service provided. That, again, is another mean of social proof. A couple other areas that you look at, we talked about the very beginning of this, would be the wisdom of the crowd. That is seeing large crowds waiting outside of some sort of establishment. We talked about the beginning, you know, with the long lines around lunchtime of Chick-fil-A, the long lines that wrap around a Starbucks. So that's wisdom of the crowd. Another social proof, wisdom of friends. When people see their friends mention a product, let's say, on Facebook, and everybody likes it and shares it, and you see a whole bunch of other people comment on it, that's positively, that is social proof. And then lastly, certification. Certification is almost like validation. When you see accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and they have that blue check mark next to it, that again is social proof. So we didn't get too deep into the different ways and areas of social proof, but after our conversation with Damon, and we thought it was important that we talked about all the ways that there is with social proof and Something to think about in your business when you're creating your plans and you're looking over your analytics. One of the things that we want you to review is, okay, what are people saying about you? What is that social proof? So I actually want to take a minute to tie in social proof and some of the examples that Ryan provided into some of the things we've talked about on our previous podcast, namely the five steps to a marketing campaign. One of the things that we talked about was understanding your audience and knowing what your audience's needs are. Well, social proof works with that as well. So using some of the examples that Ryan provided, testimonials, for example, when you're looking at a product and you see a list of testimonials or you're on a website and you see the slider come by that's got you know the photo of the individual along with a star rating and their comments about it, What are the ones that resonate with you that you tend to engage with? Typically, it's people that look 
and act like we do or behave like we do or perhaps have the same problems that we do. And I don't mean just physical appearance. I mean just in the way that we behave and act as human beings. That's human nature, right? We're looking for similarities there. We're looking for commonalities. Well, those are the reviews that resonate with you. You have to be thinking about it from the perspective of your customers as well. Who is your audience and what are the things that are going to relate to them? And using your social proof with the appropriate audience set. Another thing Ryan mentioned was, you know, the using of your friends to see kind of what the good products are, maybe the hip restaurants and things like that. Well, certain friends you trust with certain things more than others, right? I have some friends that if they recommend a restaurant, I am absolutely going to check it out because we have similar tastes and others that if they do, maybe not so much, right? So again, just something to keep in mind with uh, when we're talking about social proof, how that relates back to your audience uh, so you can plan for your campaigns accordingly. And that will wrap up episode 10. But no episode of the Digital Marketing Happy Hour is complete without Keep It Light. So Ryan, what are you binge watching or reading these days? So I'm a little late to the game on this one Netflix episode. I just discovered it recently. It came out in 2017. It's called Money Heist. And it takes place in Europe, uh, specifically in Spain. And it's about eight thieves who take hostage of the Royal Mint of Spain. And it's interesting. There are times where it's a little bit slow. There's times where it's extremely interesting. I'm all over the place with it, yet I keep watching the next episode. So I don't know. I don't hate it. I don't love it, but I continuously watch it. So I'm just in the first season, or as they say in the Money Heist, it's part one. Actually, the funny story about that is when I was looking at it, it said Money Heist. It's four parts. I'm like, Oh, four parts. So it's kind of like that limited series. And then I start looking at the, the details of it. I'm like, no, part one has 13 episodes. Part two also has like 13 episodes. I'm like, oh, so when you say part, you really just mean seasons is what you mean. So I kind of laughed at that. But overall, you know, it's been okay. It's been good. It's something that I think I'll continue to watch at least through quote unquote air quotes here, part one. But uh, have you even heard of that, Chris, on Netflix? I have. I've seen it come up on my Netflix feed a few times, uh, but I'll admit I haven't actually checked it out. So now you've, you've piqued my interest. I might I might go back to it. You know, it's not bad. I think it's definitely something to, to check out and, and see. Uh, you know, it's one of those where, well, I'll let you check it. I'll let anybody check it out. Again, we don't get paid to endorse any of these things that we say we're watching. Truly, it's just, just what we're watching. And so right now, Money Heist Netflix came out in 2017. There's four parts. And so that's what I'm doing. What, what, uh, what are you binging these days? So I think I mentioned over the course of the last few episodes that I'm actually trying to get caught up on a few more books here. And I found one that was in my Kindle collection for ages, and I just never got around to reading it. It's called The Phoenix Project, and it's actually what they call a business fable. So it's a story. It reads like a story, but there's a bunch of business knowledge baked into it. And I will admit I got hooked and I ended up finishing it over the span of like two days. It was actually really, really good about director and in, uh, information technology and the role that they play in the company and sort of this company was going through turbulent times and his position kind of evolved over time and I don't want to spoil the ending of it but it was actually really good. Very cool Chris. Now it sounds like definitely something to uh, to check out. So we'd like to hear from you. If you heard something you loved, better yet, if you heard something you disagreed with us during this podcast or really any podcast episode that we have recorded so far, let us know. We want your feedback. Please send us an email to podcast at araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X. 
A-M-dot-com. Also, please find us on social media. Hit us up on LinkedIn, for example. Search for me, Ryan Smith Marketing. You could even search for Araxum on LinkedIn search. Additionally, if you're on Twitter or Instagram, my handle is Ryan Smith FLA. That's R-Y-A-N-S-M-I-T-H-F-L-A. And I'm on Twitter at Real Chris Caselli. That's R-E-A-L-C-H-R-I-S-C-A-S-A-L-E. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We hope it will enlighten your day. After all, it is our mom's favorite podcast. And again, since Damon was with us for another episode, we hope it's his mom's favorite podcast, too. Now, on that note, Chris... Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a great day. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits is a song called In My Pocket by Jazzer. You can find it on their album Message. Learn more at BetterWithMusic.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>